Come on, man. There's Kevin. All right. All right. How's, cool. uh, how's life in Keep Texas? Kevin, a couple seconds here. I'm not in Texas. I'm in Alabama. Chris, where you were in Texas? No, man. Oh, I was no, in Texas no, sorry, for yeah. from from Texas, obviously. But that's right. You've told me this already. I, I was in Texas for a little bit when I was in the hospital with um, COVID. That's um, right. I went that's to visit my parents in, in Texas. Yeah, I've got I've got the memory. So I went for Kevin too. Yeah, me too. Um, all right, let me just get Kevin on here and we'll go. All right, so welcome to episode, I believe this is like 28, 29 now, um, of the Haunted Hacker podcast. Uh, I'm Mike Jones, and we have Ryan Willis as the co-host tonight. And tonight we have Kevin Fielder, Greg Vandergast, and Lisa Forte. So my buddy from the UK. Um, I got I to gotta ask Lisa really quick before we start. What is the deal with space? Can you give us a breakdown of, of your addiction to space really quick? Really quick? I can't do that really quick. Really That's quick. That's like, no, I can't do it really quick. This is amazing. This is my favorite rocket that no one cares about, but I'm going to tell you about it anyway, because you've asked. It is a Russian rocket called the Soyuz, and uh, I now get it into all BBC News interviews, which is cool because... We're putting some Russian propaganda into the British news, so <laughs> that's what we need. Hey, yeah, exactly. Hey, hey, hey. Fighting the good fight. Yeah, Lisa doesn't actually do any it's real. Cool. I saw that. Putin's payroll. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah exactly. I'm just an FSB officer. No one really knows. <laughs> no one gives a shit. <laughs> no one gives a shit. It's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. So um, I saw China today landed a probe on Mars. Yeah, I thought that was pretty rocking. Yeah, I my wonder if it has a US flag on it. it. Yeah, my first thought was, let me send this to Lisa. Yeah, they've crashed one yeah, exactly. and they've landed one. So now they're on net zero. So it's fine. Cool, cool. Wasn't it, sorry, wasn't it right, so, one of the booster rockets to put that thing into space that actually fell back down to Earth? Yeah, I mean, they have crashed space stations and other stuff as well. So. It's just, you know, it's a little, little bit of excitement, you know? You never know when some space debris is going to hit you in the face. Totes. Yeah, exactly. Spicing it up. All right, so a um, <clears throat> little bit of news. Uh, so I guess more stuff is unfolding with uh, Colonial Pipeline. Um, you guys in the UK probably heard about our disastrous monstrosity of the failure that we had with the gas pipeline, um, which continues to get worse. Uh, we had people panic. It was like they were selling toilet paper to gas stations. Everybody were lined up to to get gas and create this like fake gas shortage. Uh, it's pretty crazy. Um, My favorite, like the. That, and, uh, it looks. Good. No, no, my, I mean, I, I just love all the images coming out of people just pouring gas into like plastic bags and crap. <laughs> it's like, these people are allowed to vote. It's, it's crazy, man. It's insane. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely crazy. They, they will cause a shortage with anything. Um, we're going to add a piece about Dark Side into the uh, bulletins coming out on Monday. So, few announcements, a few housekeeping before you get like really deep into it. Um, the announcements is that we're doing a, that's right. Um, 
we are doing a security bulletin that's going to be released on Monday. Um, so a lot of the uh, speakers, keynote speakers that are in the Discord have put together articles and some of the other guys put together articles and we're going to release that on Monday with um, some patches to look out for as far as ransomware and some other good stuff. Um, so that comes out on Monday. Um, we have a meeting tomorrow at the same time as the podcast. And uh, we got some really cool stuff going on, um, new potential sponsors and uh, some new opportunities, which I think will be really cool. So stay tuned for that tomorrow. Um, so housekeeping, I changed the chat to go to me. So if you want to ask questions, send me the questions and I'll ask them to our guests. Um, and at the end, we'll open it back up. So there's no disruptions. Uh, and with that said, I'll go ahead and uh, let's get started. So First topic, let's talk about what, what are your opinions on Colonial and the U.S. Uh, statement from the White House regarding critical infrastructure? Same shit, different day. Yeah. I, I mean, True. you know, like every time there's a bridge, <laughs> well, invest an extra 150 million or billion or whatever level it's at, big chunk of money, but still, still doing the same crap. And, uh, you know, oh, we'll implement Hackback and then all the stuff that doesn't work. I'm... Oh, there's... there's Kevin. Sorry. I'm a cynic. So, Lisa, what, are you, what is your take on the Colonial Pipeline breach? Yeah, I'm kind of on the same page as Greg. Um, I sort of feel that it's kind of a chronic underfunding of critical national infrastructure, not just in the United States, but in Europe and in Australia. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of sort of sexier things we could do in response, but actually what we really need to do is just increase funding into hospitals and into our critical national infrastructure, which is quite frankly shit. Yeah. yeah. I don't think it's a funding issue though. I think, I think some places are short of funds, but a lot of places like they just, they don't have the awareness or they don't have uh, the skills or they don't have the vision or they don't have the understanding or there's no strategic kind of long-term thinking. And it's just, you would do whatever sexy today. And it, like, it's not sustainable, <laughs> you know, like, I mean, that wasn't, I was in one public institution. I won't name it, but you know, we did the math and we're spending 50,000 pounds to approve every 3000 pound purchase, but we're moaning that we don't have money. It's like, you know, there's so, so much bureaucracy and overhead and the Im impossibility of implementing anything. Um, yeah, so I don't, I, I don't always think it's, it's money and everyone advocates for more money, but most people wouldn't know what to do with it if they hit them in the face. Sorry, Lisa, I just had to disagree. That's a you. problem, I think. Uh, with the... <laughs> I think that's the problem with the, with the oil and gas sector is that the, the, you think the pipeline, that pipeline company makes a ton of, yeah, they, they have tons of money. Think of how many transactions they do per day, how, how much money goes to that pipeline per day. So I don't think it's a problem with, with money per se. I think it's a, it's a problem with policy and compliance. I think that we don't have enough compliance and, and checks and, and regulations when it comes to pipelines. Um, I think there was back in Alaska, they had somebody who took a, took a shot at the pipeline um, and caused a lot of damage and, and money. Uh, so really, you're, you're right. It's not protected at all. Like I could literally walk out into the desert, walk up to one major pipelines and just jump a barbed wire fence and it's it. And you're, you're in the pipeline. Um, a lot of the began and a lot of the satellite uh, transmission 
devices that they use for relaying information from the PLCs and the pumps to the main headquarters sits right there in that little chain link fenced center and it has an open ethernet port. It's where you just could plug in and you become part of that network. So it's pretty crazy. But I, you know, like I said, I, I don't think that it's, it's money. For some of them, for, for hospitals, for schools that are getting destroyed, we've had two schools in Alabama that got completely shut down for like a week because of ransomware. Um, so, you know, I don't think it's that. But I, I thought it was interesting when the uh, president brought up crypto with the conversation about colonial and how crypto is using kind of like a negative point, um, talking about most of ransomware. We wouldn't have the problem with ransomware if we didn't have currency, basically. Um, so there's a lot of talk about that as well. Kevin, what's your, what's your take on colonial? And welcome, man. Hey, guys. Um, yeah, no, I think if you look at it, yeah, obviously echo what, what the others said, because we want to have an argument with, with Greg or Lisa. Um, but no, so if you look at a lot of CNI stuff, right, it's um, they have massive long planning cycles. Like I've got a friend who works in um, planning uh, future of trains and like British Rail and stuff. And they have like 15, 20, 25 year planning cycles because you're building rail tracks and you're replacing train stock that lasts for 20 years and that kind of thing. So their planning cycles are so long they haven't planned in the kind of cyber stuff we have now because it didn't really exist at the last when the stuff that's in in place now was planned and they haven't got a thing in place like we're used to kind of you know working you know we'll talk about devops and cloud and agile and you know doing you know tens of hundreds of liters a day and all of this kind of stuff and we we work in a space where you're used to a lot of change they're just not so it's not it's it's they they haven't had to think about this stuff and they're not set up to necessarily for, yeah, especially kind of big things like pipelines and stuff they're not set up to go last year this was fine six months time we've got to deal with this uh, and then you know, you've also got all the kind of scarred kind of stuff where the stuff that just was never designed to be on the internet now is on the internet but people have put it on there for convenience without thinking about the malicious you know you naturally think happy path right you know i've recently been working in some work on designing a new process for data breaches and because it was in relation to accidental breaches they came up with a really good process for happy path data breaches in terms of this was an accident we know what's happened we know what was in the email etc but they hadn't considered it being malicious and my team needing to be involved before anyone else got told and those kind of things because normal folk don't think like that we're not thinking about the malicious stuff we're thinking about how can we get the oil somewhere how can we do it safely efficiently in terms of transporting oil not in terms of bad people trying to do bad stuff to it So, so you know i think it is a lot of the kind of education and awareness piece and also how we get faster cycles and faster change into these environments where they're not used to that i think that's a really good point because i think i think they're in a sector where um you, you don't have a culture of, of rapid continuous thinking and adapting uh so it's just really hard for them to adapt to change and i think that's you know it starts with that because you're, you're, you're not even c considering what risks you have and what consequences things have uh, especially yeah. on a short-term basis yeah, next even. Yeah, you can blame most of risk of fire or risk of death or other things. They've got risks they have, but the risk models just haven't got yeah. these risks in them yet. And it's, and it's interesting because I bet I mean, you, literally, in those other areas, they are way ahead of where we are. Um, this but, is really interesting. Some of the stuff that came out of that new, the new US announcement y stuff around kind of quality of software and things, right? Um, we're, we're so used to, you know, that they have, you know, oil rigs and other dangerous places have really good 
records for people not dying. They do stuff really well about keeping people safe in, in their environment. Um, and right. we ship software that comes out with bugs. So you can't ship cars and other things that just break, right? But but we, we're in a world where we're used to software going, oh, we'll just do a bug fix. And, and you're a human tester for this stuff. So we're all testing it. We tell whoever, whoever software company there's these problems with it, they do a bug fix, but we've already paid for it. So we, we, we do a lot of things really badly in kind of security and tech because we're just used to this kind of fail fast, fix it, when, you know, fix stuff when it's live, which just doesn't even cut it when there's life at risk, right? So, so to Greg's point, they do a lot of things much better than us. So we shouldn't be knocking them because their actual quality in many measures is way higher than what we're used to. Yeah. One of the things that you can, you can blame on the U.S. for is the... Um, Biden being in the office for his first hundred days. And it's, it's like tradition that every red country in the world throws rockets or causes some kind of upheaval uh, to test out the new president. So a lot of the, a lot of the attacks I think right now are, are in response, kind of like a diplomatic hello to uh, president Biden, um, which I don't think we're handling very well. I think uh, Krebs uh, made a, a statement. Um, I, I think it was this week. Uh, basically saying that we're we're facing another pandemic, but it's not a virus; it's software. And I think I think he's right. I think that you know the software development lifecycle and the security lifecycle is just, for some reason, it's lacking big time in some of the products that are coming out. Um, so yeah, like the the colonial's been pretty hot. Um, I think, and this is my prediction, is I think the grid will be will be next. I think that one of the power grids in the U.S. will probably get tested here within the next probably 90 days. I hope not, but it looks like that's that's the, the route that they're going. Um, another another interesting thing, too, is dark side. Let, let's talk dark side for a second. Um, they, you know, cause a gas shortage and attack a pipeline and then come out with an apology. And we didn't mean to mess with people's lives and and you know, we're sorry for the, for the social disruption or whatever. I have never seen a malware or a ransomware business uh, come out, take claim for an attack and then apologize like a couple of days later. Well, if, if I may, like, first of all, like, I don't, I don't think that this was necessarily a deliberate attack on, on CNI. I think it's basically you're connected to the internet, your IP showed up when I scanned for vulnerabilities. So you're next. Uh, but that doesn't mean that, you know, state actors and other threat actors aren't learning from these things and saying, hmm, I, I could definitely do that and take out my enemy. And I think your, your apology... Think Brian hit it. What's that? Go ahead. I'm, Go thinking ahead. Like, I'm thinking back to, like, my teenage hacker days, and, you know, I, I like to hack into shit left and right, but I, I never really thought about the consequences, you know, because I was, like, a 16-year-old kid. I didn't, I didn't want to hurt anyone. But, you know, hey, if I, if I could do something and it's going to make me some money or allow me to free, free phone calls or this or that, I'll, I'll do it. But then if I didn't found out that, hey, I really impacted people's lives, I would actually kind of feel bad about that. So I wonder if there's any commonality with that. Who knows? You know, who, you know maybe this dark side group is run by a bunch of like 18-year-old kids. And, you know, they awesome. just realize, ooh, we screwed up, you know. Spe speaking of like crime and, and kids <laughs> and, and, you know, young hackers, teenage hackers, funny story. So when I met Lisa, we were at NISC and I had never met anybody else. I'd never met Greg, never met Kevin, never met Lisa, nobody there. It was my first time. Um, 
Lisa, I walked in and Lisa was giving her talk about law enforcement and, you know, young teenage hackers and, and stuff like that. And immediately I started like getting hot on my collar. I was thinking, wait a minute, is she saying that the kids should be arrested? Like I was like getting really frustrated, but then I had to step back and actually listen to the message. But it's kind of funny that we were at the same talk and that's how we met was with those like both sides of the fence type talk. Um, so let's go through Greg, Kevin, Lisa, and uh, tell us about your backgrounds. Start with Lisa. Well, I am officially a work from home astronaut. I'm really proud of that. No, I'm not really. Um, <clears throat> I worked actually um, oddly in counter piracy operations off the coast of Somalia. That's how I got my start in security, um, hunting pirates, literally. Um, and then I moved into counterterrorism in the UK and then the police cybercrime unit. And then now I don't really know what I do now. I sort of just say words at a camera and hope someone listens. <laughs> yeah, I feel you. That's what I do. Greg, yeah. how about you? Yeah, I also have no idea what I'm doing anymore. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, I think everybody knows the story. You know, teenage hacker and techie and worked in IT and kind of got, I totally got fed up with it. I was, I was actually doing like close protection at some point, owned a shooting range, uh, tried to start like a, a car event business. And then I just really needed money and, uh, and got back into IT. And somehow I just kind of stopped being a techie, but more in kind of a management. And I still find it a weird thing to say, but like leadership position with the tech background, with the with that, to me, the hacker mindset, now it means different things to different people. But for me, the hacker mindset was always how does stuff actually work? Like I want to take stuff apart and, and understand every detail. And that kind of thinking, just like, how, how come you're not spotting these things? How come you're not realizing that you're, you're doing this, you're ticking a box, but you've, you've neglected these like 17 underlying layers that are riddled with crap. Um, and, but it was interesting because I, I would spot that stuff right away, but you'd get fired for it. Um, so it's, it's not necessarily quite, quite valuable. And um, I just reached a point where I was like almost in a state of despair because it's like the, the more security stuff I, I call out and try to fix, the, the less I'm appreciated and the more I get fired by, by all these bad CISOs out there. And it was just getting ridiculous. And I, I just reached a point where I was like, you know what, I'm just going to share everything I know. I'm going to die in a ditch anyway. Um, and then people really started me, recognizing me for that. So that, that's kind of what the last few years have been about is just kind of trying to help people out and try to build security programs that actually work for the very few people that actually want a security program that works and not just an ISO or a NIST certificate in the wall. And you have a book as well, right? Called. Yeah. Yeah. Re Rethinking InfoSec. Some, some guy called loves goats, hates it, but other people like <laughs> it. <laughs> nice. So Kevin, speaking of CISOs, tell us about your background and, and, what you're doing now. I know you've been here before and, and Greg as well, and, and most people already know you, but for those of the, for those of you who don't know him, this is Kevin. Hey, um, well, I'm one of those CISOs that, that Greg will slag off. That's obviously doing a terrible job. Um, but yeah, so yeah, I've done a, done a, done a bunch of things, random um, tech roles, project roles. I think my first, my first actual real job was supporting some dental software um, and we had to, that's back in the days of BNC cabling and, and, and fixing up little 10 computer lands for, for dentists and things, which was um, particularly unexciting. Also ran a shop selling kind of gym supplements and clothing and workout stuff for a while. Um, 
which which I kind of discovered one of things where you learn that even when you do something you enjoy, running a shop and selling stuff is just running a shop and selling stuff. So it got tired after a while, even though it's kind of stuff I love doing. Um, yeah, it gets swelled exactly. Um, so yeah, so then then I've kind of I kind of gravitated towards the sort of building teams end of things. So last few roles have involved kind of building teams, doing stuff, and I find myself probably a little bit like Greg in terms of. I kind of create stuff where there wasn't so on well pair created a function that didn't exist and then I joined Just Eat and kind of built a security team that didn't exist really when I joined and then I've joined FNZ to do a similar thing to build a first time security team that wasn't there when I joined so I very much enjoy kind of building stuff from new um, and trying to do things a bit differently I, I tend to sort of rub people up the wrong way when we start talking about sort of too much audit and compliancy stuff um, and I get very I have very low patience for this is how we do things as opposed to this is how we should do things. And a lot of people really struggle with change. You find people have been in organizations for years and they, they've got a way of doing things and someone new comes in, well, we could do like this. We shouldn't be doing that. That's a waste of time. And, you know, even when you put it across, you know, constructively, fairly flippant and, and talking quickly here, but, you know, you can talk about how you can improve things and change things. And I think people are, um, uh, what's it called? It's generally, it's not just security people. A lot of people struggle with change. So if you've been doing something a certain way, it's not necessarily that you you kind of hate you 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 kind of just struggle because it's different. So even if you can see it's better, you struggle with change and, and people telling you things can be done differently. Um, so I think that's a lot of the things I like to sort of break down and, and improve things and do things in, in new ways. But it's it can be a challenge because people don't like new ways of doing things effectively. I totally agree with Kevin. Yeah. Speaking of, uh, you know, CISOs and, and some, some weird things going on in the industry. What, what was the deal, uh, Greg, with, with the post today and the, uh, the legal, the legal jargon? Oh yeah. So, well, well, I think stateside people won't really know this, but I got a job last year. Um, I was, I was basically approached by this company called the hut group. And so they, they have a CISO, but I'd, I'd heard like the worst stories. The guy basically doesn't know what he's doing. And there's a lot of kind of like racist, misogynistic crap going on there, bullying employees that cried and like two, almost 300% turnover over the last three years. And they approached me and I was like, look, I, you know, I'd want to set the strategy. I'd want to set the direction. I only want your, your top spot. You already have a CISO and I'm absolutely not interested in, in working for him because I hear it's just a shit show basically. And that's when they kind of went like, Oh, but we kind of realized that that's, that's what we're kind of looking for a group CISO to kind of manage that situation. And I spoke to the CTO and the CFO co-found the company and they're both like, yeah, yeah, he's a, he's a real problem. But the whole title I was like, well, why is he still there? Uh, which long before this, like I'd, I'd heard of him like a, a year before. And the running joke was like, whose sex tape does he have? Because no one could understand why this guy who's just churning through people like crazy. And like, I know for a fact that he's lost them tens of millions in business every year because people just like find <laughs> out because the security reviews are so bad. It just it made no sense. And the next thing I know, like a month before I'm supposed to start, they get this anonymous letter through him accusing me of all these things, which like 30 plus people have denied. Uh, but they basically fired me before I could even start. Uh, and that's when like all these people started approaching me about their stories of what they went through there. So I, I went to, I'm going to like an employment tribunal to sue them. And I'm asking for one pound and a public apology stating the facts of what I've already documented. 
Um, and they've they filed police reports saying I was at one of the director's house intimidating oh. him and his family while I was like provably doing my grocery shopping like an hour and a half away. Uh, <laughs> then the Financial Times caught on to it and like they had their PR, the CEO of their outside PR firm. Now this is like a 10 billion pound company. Uh, tried to like sway the Financial Times into not publishing the story. And they told the Financial Times all these like statements like absolute BS. And as soon as I, I knew like things were going sour, like I started like recording all the phone calls, uh, which you can submit it. I, I can't legally share them with anyone, but I can submit them because I didn't have consent, but I, I can share them as evidence. So like a, like a few weeks ago, they um, the Financial Times basically said like our, our legal department won't risk us publishing this story because even though we know everything is true, they'll sue us into the ground just because they have so much more money than us. Uh, yes. <laughs> and um, yeah, so next, like a, a few weeks ago, I'm going to actually post these because I didn't. Um, they, they tried to have like a, a preliminary hearing to scrap the whole case. Uh, as soon as they found out, because the Financial Times, like what we can do is once it goes to court, then it's public record. We can take that information and point to that as a source and then we can run the story um so then they they tried to scrap the case and then they like in in the scenes for the process like i had to send them all my evidence so they, they could prepare the case so i was like i sent them all the recordings i had which contradicted every single statement they'd made to the court about the case uh and now they're trying so today's post was them filing a motion to try to have the the covert re recordings thrown out because they're, they're not relevant to the case so we have lots of facts already like uh you've got your versions of events but the facts are you on the phone saying things that is not what you're telling the judge so yeah now they're trying to uh, to do that and uh, yeah they don't like me very much we're, i think uh, they're just mad because they I think they're just mad because they found out you weren't the lead singer from Coldplay. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know how often I have to put up with that shit? Uh, so, so yeah, good, fun, fun times. But I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to, like at this point, like it's literally just to get the story out because I've had so many people come forward to me and they're really afraid. Um, like they've shared their stories with me, but they're really afraid of going up against them. Um, and I'm, I'm hoping to get the Financial Times to write the story a lot of scrutiny to get kicked up and people to be encouraged to kind of come forward. Uh, so that's, yeah, that's kind of, I've, I've got nothing to lose. You know, I've, I'm, I'm working again. I don't need the money. Uh, I don't care. Like previously I'd, I'd, um, I said like whatever settlement I get to give it to charity, but now I've changed that. It's like, I'm asking for one pound. I'll give the, I'll give the one pound uh, to charity. Actually, I, I owe my hairdresser a pound 50 because I didn't have change. So that, that might be the lawsuit right there. <laughs> But yeah, and that's when they really freaked out because they realized this guy doesn't want money, so we can't buy him out. And I said, like, un under no case, am I, no condition am I uh, signing an NDA. So it's like, disclose, you know, suck it up and change the culture and, and you know, fess up, you did something wrong and promise to change. Uh, but they're just too stubborn to do it. So yeah, we're, uh, and, and there's all these little things and little moves that they're doing back and forth. And I'll, I'll start sharing those because they're, a lot of them are quite funny. I think, uh, well, Kevin, you're on this, on this group. So there's a, a spinoff of this Club CISO group. And we're pretty much convinced they have a, a weekly managing meeting called That Fucking Greg Guy. Just to, just to sum up the stuff that's coming. 
So yeah, I'm. And a lot you've of, infected another group. You've infected a. You've infected another group, though. You, you're yeah, also part of what the UK CISO alliances now too. I have, yeah, yeah. I was asked uh, to join it, which is uh, it's all right, actually. I mean, you're in there as well, aren't you? Big group, super uh, Greg, and he's the biggest talker on both of them. Yeah, sorry about that. Sorry. Lisa doesn't say much. Lisa, what groups are you into now? At least I don't have a Cockney accent. <laughs> Go on, Lisa. Where are you at? What groups am I into? Lisa, what, what groups are you in now? She's on like women's yeah. space. Space that women, space that blonde. So, <laughs> no, no, that was a low blow. So tell dude. us about that your was almost an explosive comment. Why don't you go and blow up a car or something, Greg? <laughs> I've done that already this month. Like, <laughs> to ask Greg is the fact that he managed to be sacked from a job before he even started. Is no, that's some gains. Ah, that's oh, oh, epic actually, talent I right there. I've never done that. that. I can beat that. Because when I worked for QVC, they hired, I was interviewed for the CISO role because I was, I was the internal candidate. And they hired an, an external, well, they hired a, a CISO based in the States. I was in Italy at the time. And her first order of business was to have me sacked because she saw I drew up this entire global security framework program. She didn't like that very much. And her first order of business was to have me sacked. So they really like they mobbed me really bad to the point where I was had like I had to go like for therapy because I had a nervous breakdown they finally sacked me because I was in Italy and employment laws were really really bad they finally sacked me but then when I went to the employment tribunal and started showing all the shit that had happened it was looking like I was going to be reinstated by the courts so they actually created another scenario to sack me again so that if I was reinstated I'd already be sacked so I was actually fired twice. And a That's lot of awesome. people hated working there. And in Italy, to fire you, they have to pay you like two years salary. And I remember one of my coworkers in Italian, it was like, there's everyone here that's trying to get sacked. And then there's Greg, who's managed to do it twice. <laughs> that's awesome. World record for you firing. Have, you must have pissed Lisa off that day or something. I think yeah. she's, uh, there she is. <laughs> Greg basically just sends me abusive messages. That's how that's how Greg and I communicate. He sends me abuse. I send him abuse back. I think I think that describes it. Would you not agree, Greg? I think it's like any healthy marriage, really. Mm. Yeah, scary actually. Yeah, that's not that's not a thing. Good (laughs) friend. You went and made it awkward, didn't you, Greg? That's me. That's me all over. So, anyway, Lisa, tell us, tell us about your show. Lisa's oh, a show. my show? Yeah, your show. So I actually had the best experience ever. I actually interviewed my all-time hero, which pretty much no one on this call probably know who he is, so I'm just a geek. But he is my ultimate hero, and I just literally, I was i was such a terrible episode from my perspective because I just fangirled the entire time. So he's there talking and giving all this space knowledge, and he's just like, he's just epic. Scott Manley, go check him out. Um, and I'm just sat there like this the whole way through the entire episode, and I had to cut so much of me out and then refilm chunks where I was like this. Because <laughs> the whole time I was just like, oh my God, this is amazing. It wasn't very professional but go check out the episode. He talks about the Apollo hacks, which are epic. Awesome. Yeah, I got to check that out for sure. 
Um, I think there's only one person that would probably be like that if I got them on the show. And that would probably be Elon Musk. I want to get Elon Musk on the show so bad. Um, but also, he's going to be my I mean, future husband. He that... doesn't know this yet, but he is going to be my future husband. So, Elon, on the sh- lightest chance you're watching this, hit me up. <laughs> Actually, you know what? Like, like that front in the background it. almost looks like Ganja, so he might be on his way over now. <laughs> Run Everyone does this to me. This is not marijuana, okay? Wow. This is an umbrella plant. Oh, honest to what God. is it? Is it real or fake? I don't have faked plants, darling. Who do you think I am? I'm not having fake plants in my living room. Gosh, I'm not posh. Too posh. That should be that should be one of the forty items on that list. Oh my God! You brought the list. I brought the list up. Oh, what list? Tell, tell me about the list. Oh, oh there's, there's, there's a list. You tell me about the list, Lisa. The list is 40 things that mean you're posh. And however many you score on that list is how posh you are. And they're things like wearing wellies, going to a polo club, having was a horse. Posh. My daughter exactly. wears Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Wearing a gilet. Greg's now looking it up, so I'm going to just now be I've got it embarrassed. here. I, I was literally showing it to my girlfriend earlier. She does wear wellies a lot. So you have a boarding school education, antiques and heirlooms in the family, a wine cellar, paintings of ancestors on the walls, belonging to a storied private members club, never discussing money, calling parents mummy and daddy, even as an adult, family coat of arms, horse riding, catered dinner parties, knowing how to eat properly with a knife and fork, never calling it cutlery, employing a gardener, calling dinner supper, family silver, sending invitations by post, family tree, skiing holiday, shooting as a hobby, tweeted jackets, calling everyone darling, playing croquet, asking, where did you school? Champagne is known as champers. It's the loo, not the toilet. Classic Land Rover Defender in the drive, wearing a trusty old barber jacket, shelves full of books, partridge and grouge on the menu, calling friends by their surnames, love of cricket, all this crap. Lisa's got just about every single one of them. To be fair, oh, the past that you know, though, being able, to use, being able to use cutlery makes you posh. Greg, I think they mean Greg, like Greg the thinks it does, okay? <laughs> Just let Greg think it does. Well, no, the quiz does, and it's it's like one of two things. I think I fork, therefore I am posh. Yeah, but if, if if you sit down and there's four knives, four forks, and three spoons, do you know which one is to use for which meal, for which dish? Uh, Someone's literally written, leave. what the fuck is a gilet? <laughs> <laughs> so they are not posh. Darling, it's country attire. <laughs> for a when body you warmer? Like, okay, it's not a body warmer. For French to us. Nice. Oh, a gilet is literally a body warmer. It's a jacket oh with missing arms, isn't it? You are the poshest person I know, Lisa. Help me be more gangster. With missing arms. It's literally, you know what Michael J. Fox wears in Back to the Future? And he thinks it's a life preserver. Oh, yeah. Except, except imagine it made out of tweets. So, really, it's for poor people who can't afford a whole jacket. It's oh, shit. I can't even afford a jacket without sleeves so uh, yeah. yeah 
on that list okay. for sure. I feel we veered away so, from anything relating to security at all. Do we have any questions? I was about to, to. We have no questions. Actually, people are actually laughing at at what we're saying right now. We, I, I mean, we're being. I'm, I'm sorry, but this was obviously going to be a car crash. There was not going to be any serious discussion. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> that was another dig at me, just so everyone knows. It wasn't, but it, it was. No, I. I I, I do want to I do want to bring up a cybersecurity topic that Kevin posted today. Kevin, why don't you talk about the topic that you brought up on LinkedIn? Oh yeah, it wasn't actually. This, yeah, this, this it wasn't actually. Well, it's kind of cyber. It's, I'm reading book um, House Spies Think at the moment, which is pretty cool. Um, but it's just the, the idea that you know how it's easy to have kind of like cognitive bias. So you've got an idea, and even when you use evidence. <coughs> Is like prefer the evidence that supports your idea so you can have loads and loads of evidence to prove that your idea is right and it's not necessarily the best idea you've just found kind of cherry-picked evidence backs them so i can't make the exact wording but basic premise is the choose the hypothesis with the least evidence against it and that's probably the one that's most aligned to reality so pay much more intelligent uh, attention to evidence against hypothesis than evidence for it um, and it's just a really good way of thinking oh yeah someone's put a link in, in the thing and I just thought it was just a really cool way of thinking because it gets around that whole kind of reinforcement bias and the whole, you know, the filter bubble you talk about with internet that makes it worse, right? Google and social media all give you things they think you'll like. So you get more and more stuff that backs up your opinions and your way of thinking rather than finding stuff that is critical to it. Yeah, I think that's 100% right. And I think it's so distorting because I think I read somewhere also that when you Google something, you're sort of Googling it with bias. So you're actually inputting it in a manner that you want to find the information. So you've actually sort of pre-filtered some of the content and biased the results that are going to come back, which, yeah, I think we're sort of living. I, I was saying this to someone today that I think the number of people who I have conversations with outside of security who say um, something like, oh, I read somewhere that and then just insert god knows what into that conversation it's bullshit absolute bullshit and like complete like half my italian fa half my family are italian and they do conspiracy theories better than anybody else in the business and the stuff that comes back that's based on absolutely zero but they found stuff that kind of backs it up is just nuts yeah that's crazy um and to be honest with you, I think in our industry, we have a lot of those conspiracy theorists as well. Like I, I've noticed just recently, and I don't know if it's because of some of the interviews I've done, but I've seen a lot more conspiracy theory bullshit floating around the internet. Um, really funny. Uh, anyways, so there was another question um, from Dan, and he says, do you think OPSEC is important for a CISO? I'll let you guys feel that kevin you want to take that yes yeah, so as in as in personal opsec or knowing about opsec they weren't specific about it um yeah. but i can tell you that from, from my point of view the knowing of opsec is important but as far as the CISO goes he should probably be leading that charge but the people underneath him, like the directors and the managers and the analysts should be practicing OPSEC all the time, especially if you work in like oil and gas or a critical industry. 
Yeah, I think I guess it, yeah, I think it depends as well because it's obviously Kev. um some of us, yeah, you, you do well in your career by being fairly public about who you are and what you do. Um so you mm. should have a a I think it's being informed, right? The same as how we try and train our execs and other people so you can be informed about it. So, you know, the don't necessarily post your holiday photos till you're back from your holidays. People don't know you're away when you're actually away, those kind of things. So little simple stuff that you don't have to actually have a private life, but you can do a few things to make it not so obvious when you're not at home or those those kind of things to make your life a little bit safer, um, but not kind of have this panic, I don't want to share stuff and, and you know, if you want to get out there and talk about what you do and help others, you're inherently going to have to be fairly open about what you do. So we talk about sharing, you know, so I think there's that balance, right? We talk to security about sharing stuff. So how do I as a CISO share success stories or how I've built a team well or other stuff without talking about what I'm doing? So people are inherently going to know where I work and what I, what I do, but equally as a CISO, you're not necessarily high value target security wise, because I don't actually have access to do anything. So my account at work has, is a pretty low value account because it can't make any change on anything. So so I think, you know, potentially the CISO is probably one of the people that can be more out there in the team because you're not someone who's doing things. I think if you're someone much more involved in sysadmin or instant response and other things where you will be making changes on systems and stuff, perhaps you do need to have a bit more control about what people know about you and what you're doing than, than someone who's a bit more public and, and trying to share success in terms of team building and, and security successes. Can I say something about OPSEC? I have a story. Absolutely. So I have a theory that ego and OPSEC run counter to each other. And this is why. Because when I was in the police, right, the only people we would ever catch were people who thought they were too good and then made stupid mistakes, like use the same Twitter handle or use the same connection between accounts. And that's how they got busted. Um, and I have this stalker um, and we know who he is. He's, he's family, you know, part of the community. Um, and he's in IT and he's like this old, he's like this older guy who's like, you know, bit of a weight, IT guy, whatever. Um, and he creates these absolutely tragic sock accounts. I mean, embarrassing level sock accounts that he follows his own account for a start. That's always the first person that he'll go follow. So I always find that really hilarious. Um, someone's written the comic, Greg. <laughs> not Greg it would be hilarious if it was but it's not Greg um yeah and he even started making accounts using like his ex-girlfriend's account his current girlfriend's account his um child's account all this stuff like and then messaging me really dodgy photos really dodgy content harassing me harassing my friends and the worst part was that like, it's all just so obvious and all of my friends, we sort of look at it and we're just like, oh, it's him again. We know it's him because he's followed his own account and he's used his work email on the account and you know, all of this stuff. Um, but it's kind of sad. And I sort of feel like it's ego because this guy has a huge ego and thinks he's amazing. And I think when you think you're amazing, you think you're untouchable and that's when you get caught. I, I totally agree with that. Yeah, and I think that, yeah, and as speakers, I think that a lot of us tend to be targets for either controversial stuff or just who want to argue, period. Um, I've ran into a couple of those on the internet so far that, you know, not necessarily stalkers, but, you know, want to make you miserable. Um, I, think, I think like anyone, I, I, I heard that story, at least. Go ahead. 
Sorry, yeah, the, the lag is terrible. I keep talking. We keep talking over each other. Um, yeah, I mean, I I agree. I definitely agree with uh, with what Lisa said and with what Kevin said as well. But I think you you've got like two categories. You've got people who are quite public uh, that may not necessarily have a lot of access to stuff personally, but have a lot of influence in the company. So you still you still kind of want to protect them. Um, and yeah, you kind of. I, you, you kind of have to educate anyone in your company that has either a high profile or a high access or privilege. Um, and it's a, it's a bit like user awareness training, but it's more, it's more than just spotting, you know, Hey, this is a phishing email or this is something wrong. You have to really explain to them, you know, what the TTPs are and who the threat actors are and why and what to look out for. And that, you know, OPSEC is something that you live. You have to be conscious about it continuously so in, in some organizations, it, it can definitely be justified. Personally, as a CISO, not really, uh, not terribly high risk. Uh, I, was, I was sweeping my, uh, my apartment when the, the THG stuff got a little bit peaky, but uh, other than I'm, I'm pretty relaxed about it now. But yeah, in a, in a normal situation, you know, not, not really personally as a CISO, but um, you never know. Yeah, I think it's a lot of it's the awareness, like Greg touched on, right? Which is being aware of. So it's not necessarily having OPSEC in terms of I keep everything in my life secret. It's having awareness of OPSEC, so you're less likely to be scammed. So you're educating your exec and other people on, on those kind of things. I think one of the most simple things I always try and get people aware of is you know take money transfer as an example. If you get an, an email for money transfer or whatever, no CFO is ever going to get angry if you phone them up as well as before you actually email. Right. So there's really simple things you can do to double check stuff. So you have, you know, and it's, it's relatively unlikely that someone's going to have compromised the mobile phone and the email at the same time, unless you're like super high value and you've probably got a bunch of other things in play at that point. But for a normal, normal humans, your work email and your work phone, both being completely compromised in terms of phone calls and everything else is probably relatively, a relatively low risk scenario. Right. Yeah, for sure. Um, there was another question I wanted to get to really quick. Uh, it was from Muhammad. He's a cyber warrior. He says, uh, can Lisa share some details on the work done by the Cyber Volunteers 19 group? Oh, yeah. Um, I'm no longer with the Cyber Volunteers 19. I had to step down. Um, but they do some amazing stuff. And we set it up in uh, when the pandemic sort of started in Europe in March. And we've helped lots of hospitals across Europe and in Russia as well. Um, at the peak, we had like 3,000 volunteers, which was just impossible to manage. I've never managed 3,000 people in my life. And I suddenly realized that they were just like everywhere all the time. Um, so we've done lots of stuff with um, governments, intelligence agencies, police and hospitals as well in all these countries. And we're hoping, we were hoping that eventually we could morph it into something that could allow for more public private collaboration because in this country that doesn't really happen in some European countries it's a little bit better um, but here it definitely doesn't happen at all and it's a real shame because we have the skills and capability and the training and the investment in our careers the police don't have anything that involves having to spend any money and uh, but they obviously have the cases that that need some help so it, it would work really well in my opinion but we haven't made it work yet gotcha, gotcha. yeah i think i joined uh, the volunteers when it first started 
but the pandemic was so crazy when I was over in London that I never got a chance to actually help out. Um, <clears throat> you guys are out of lockdown now, right? Sort of. We can like go to restaurants, but sit outside. Yeah. Um, I think you can have people to your house <laughs> and not staying overnight or to your garden or something. But yeah, it's kind of moving that way. But I think these talked on a great point there around why it's really hard for us to do one of the reasons why it's hard for kind of defenders to do as well as criminals. It's a challenge for even volunteers to go and help the police, right? You're volunteering to help them, but because of legal boundaries and rules and evidence collection and who they can share stuff with and whatever else, it's much, which some of it has good value, you know, good reasons for it, but it's much harder for people investigating and defending to share things and to work collaboratively across borders and stuff. Whereas criminals don't have those rules. I'm sure they've got other other people, yeah, they'll have people they work with and people they don't work with. But if I want to go and do criminal stuff, I don't necessarily have to work, oh, how do I legislatively work with the people in Italy or in another country? I'm just like, hey, dudes, should we do some bad stuff, effectively? And there isn't those ba- the, the same boundaries that we have in, in the kind of legal side of things. Yeah. So it's, a real, it's a really sad thing to hear that you've got volunteers wanting to help investigate crime that can't. Yeah, and it's it's weird too because working with the police when I when I first got over there, before I could even talk about the prevent program, I had to go through an Interpol background check and all kinds of like you know interviews and stuff, and it was it was really weird. Like you know they were checking like all over the world if I had any cases pending or any investigations. Um, so yeah, like the bureaucracy and the red tape, it's a lot like the Department of Defense here. Well, a ton of red tape, and and it's really difficult because you have to. F- Fill, all, fill out all of these, you know, check boxes to make sure that, you know, the operation is, is OPSEC. Um, anyways, so uh, this is the rant time. Um, if you have, give me your one rant for the industry. One thing that pisses you off the most about the industry, and I'll give you each five minutes go. Lisa first. Hey, <clears throat> sorry. Um, so, okay, my rant for the industry. Okay, I'm going to say something that's really unpopular because that's how I roll and I always say things that people don't like. I am a bit sick of these women in tech awards and um, women in, oh, look, here's a, here's a woman. Look, see, we, she's on our, on our panel. I think it's rubbish. Um, <clears throat> I'll probably get a little trolling for this, but that's cool because I haven't had some in like two to three days. So it's good to like up it again. Um, but seriously, I think it's just ridiculous that like w- without sort of, basically sometimes I get invited onto panels because I have a vagina. That's the only reason I get invited onto a panel. And that's rubbish to be quite honest because I have things to say. I ha- I'm a heavily opinionated individual in case you hadn't got that vibe from me. Um, and it's just absolute rubbish. And so from my point of view, I'd like to see that gone and just have an equal playing field for men and women, because I don't think it sends the right message to say people to say to women, oh, look, you're the token woman. Come and sit on this panel. You're the token woman. Here, here's an award for being a woman. It's just to me, I personally find it a bit insulting and I could take Greg and Kevin any day of the week. So bring it. Mic drop. I don't doubt that. <laughs> yeah, cool. Greg, do you want to answer that? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I'm all for kind of uh, meritocracy. I hate like reverse discrimination. I hate um, anything that you know. I've I've seen teams get completely decimated 
by diversity hires when really capable people could, would not be given the job because of hiring policies and stuff. Um, and I, I yeah, like I, I meet more and more women who, who are saying exactly what Lisa just said, um, who's like, I, I don't want to be your CISO or your whatever just because I'm a woman. Uh, and I, I get called by recruiters fairly often, uh, well, fairly often, at least every once a month, maybe more often. Is hey, do you know someone that you know, uh, architect or CISO or this and that? And I'm like, well, what what kind of CISO are they looking for? And the answer I get is female. I was like, oh, I was expecting like industry or specializing in startups or big companies or this or that. Um, so yeah, I think that's that's absolute BS um stop creating divisions you know like it doesn't matter your gender your your religion your color like it, it doesn't change have anything to do with your your ability to be in this industry or to do this job and i'm also training to be a rally driver so i'm a badass as well right okay keep yeah yeah for i saw Greg's I saw gonna be my now. mentor he's helping me it's gonna be fine yeah because because you needed help crashing cars <laughs> like a handful of cars okay Quite a few cars. Best, best <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, I totally agree with that. I mean, that, that's awesome. I don't know where to start in terms of stuff that pisses me off. I hate that we're such a reactive industry. I hate that we're not developing any talent in, you know, holistic thinking right. and management. Right. And... You had a simple instruction, one thing. Yeah. I, I won't yeah. stick to it, but yeah. Yeah, sorry. Every, everything sucks basically it's I, th I think it's systematically screwed so i don't know where to start so i'll just give it up to kevin <laughs> um yeah to be fair there is a lot of things we could rant about right um but yeah, i think uh, skill shortage let's go with that one we love I, that i one. was thinking it i was thinking it <laughs> oh. Well, if I can, Kevin, just 30 yeah, seconds. You can have skill shortage. I'll have AI. You go for it. In the, in the last, um, last few days. So today there was a job posting for a, uh, an analyst, two to five years experience. And one of the nice to haves was experience as a CISO. But what, what are you even asking for? And there was one last week that like they wanted, I'm not shitting you, like 20 different certifications that had absolutely fuck all to do with the role. Uh, and there was another one yesterday for like a graduate new entry position and they wanted like a CISSP, a CISSM, ISO 27001 lead auditor. Like what, what does this have to do with anything? You know, it, it's absolutely ridiculous. We're keeping everybody out. Hiring managers don't seem to know what their job is. They don't even know what these certs are that they're asking for. And it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. It's a job description. Describe the job. People that can do the job will apply for it. If you give me a, a JD about genetically splicing lobsters, I'm not going to apply for it. If you give me a JD about building a security program, I might apply for it. You know, filter up people out that way. Let them just tell them what they're actually going to be doing and let the people apply that think they can do it because you're going to have a better candidate fit than just looking for random certifications that have nothing to do with the job that needs to be done in the first place. All right, Kevin, go. Yeah, random certifications or five five years experience as, a, as an entry level analyst. I thought that was pretty awesome. Um, Kevin. Yeah, no, I think what's yours? Yeah, that is one. Although AI. AI, let's go for that because there's a lot of snake oil. 
if it, I, there is there is no AI in security. Let's let's just put that out there straight away. Um, there is there is some learning, but people need to be really honest about about that. And I think it's exactly it's it's we just need some honesty, right? Where where you're not AI general general purpose AI and, and doesn't really exist full stop yet to a, a proper degree, let alone some small security company that's magicked up some some AI source that's just a bit of actual ML. Um, so just be really honest about what you're selling. And I guess it's more of a, it's not just an AI thing. It's a snake oil selling bullshit. Stop it, please. Um, yes. Really good products. Like we all know of a, a network monitoring product that has a marketing budget from God. Um, that means all your execs ask, why aren't you implementing said product? And it's quite a good product, but it's a product that you put in when you've got your other ducks in a row. So you've got your CMDB and you've got your you know, asset management and monitoring and response and patching and all of those things are sorted and you're in a good place and you're like, hey, we've got some really valuable assets. So we now need something that's going to do some really clever behavior analytics stuff on the network or whatever, because even with all the basics in place, we're not confident we've, we're within our risk tolerance. And then that's an honest bit of sales. We say, hey, if you've done all this, we're a sprinkle of magic you can put on top of that to give you some more stuff. And that's some honest selling, whether you want it or not, or agree with it or not, there's, you, know, you can argue about that. But fundamentally, there's a lot of products that fit in that space of when you've done everything else and you've done your CIS top 20 or your NIST or whatever you're following, then you can look at us. But when you're in a mess and you haven't done all of this stuff, which most people haven't, spending half a million quid on our magic will just mean you get a lot of false positives and told some point after you've been breached, you've been breached, maybe. And it's such yep. a waste of money. So just, just if you're selling stuff, be honest about what it does. Because we all need help. We all need security tools to do monitoring and response and whatever else. We probably don't need as many tools as we got, but we need we need support. You can't just have people. You do need tools as well as process, as well as you know, people process tech, right? But we don't need to be sold yeah, sure. and to get pressure from our execs because you can advertise in the Financial Times that we should use your product because that's not going to help anyone get more secure. So yeah, honest marketing. Maybe it's a bit of a breach away from AI no, into no. honest marketing. I'm going to say it's not AI, but I totally agree with you as well. Can I say one more thing that I hate? Well, and I, mean, I completely hate Kevin's. No, I don't I agree with Kevin, but I hate that. Yeah, you get where I'm going with it. Um, so I absolutely hate attribution when there's an attack and literally within a couple of hours, Russia or North Korea, that's who we've picked. And I went on a news channel oh. where I actually um, was in the green room prior to going live. Um, and they said to me, we don't care who you pick, but can you say it was either Russia or North Korea? And I was like, but we don't, we don't know that at the moment in time. And they said, we don't mind which one, just go with it and stick with it, that's fine. And it's like, I used to work in international law and it's so damaging to say it was Russia because even non-state actors, even organized crime groups, that's not Russia. That's organized crime groups who may or may not be located in Russia. And, you know, some people say I'm working for Putin on, on P Putin's payroll. Greg, you. Um, I'm not, not on Putin's payroll, but I do think that we've got to get away from these knee-jerk reactions about attribution, because actually, does it really matter if you've had a breach, if you had an attack, does it really matter at that moment in time who did it, or is what is more important getting back to normality and, um, you know, sort of getting operations back? It's, it's because we need to know which highly sophisticated state sponsor was, was the attack that did the SQL injection on my 
server this, this, that have this is really interesting. When I was mulling this over, just randomly walking around early today, and it's on the other side of the coin with a lot of threat intel stuff. Some of it's useful if it's like, hey, this is going to happen to you next week, or this is, you know, when it's real kind of pertinent stuff. But knowing that which threat actors are going to do stuff to you, if it's all generic stuff, doesn't necessarily help you. So there's a lot of intel before things happen that has no value because you know you're going to get all of these standard attacks against you. And, and you know, to this point afterwards, yeah, that fusion can matter when it becomes some sort of international thing. But at the point of issue, you should be working on how do we remediate this, not necessarily, you know, caring about was it Russia or North Korea or whatever. Yeah, yeah that's it's, later down the line. I, I love that because you've got so many groups and so many organizations and I'm, and I'm part of the, we, we talked about the, uh, the Cyber Resilience Center on the last call I had with you, Mike. The one in Manchester, and they just spent all their time mm. sharing threat intel. And it's like ATP 827 is exploiting exchange servers. Oh my God. It's like, no shit. Everyone's exploiting exchange servers. Patch your exchange servers. Like, stop worrying about who's exploiting it and just fix your stuff. You know, it, it's, it's the equivalent of like yeah. prep, monitoring every single person in the world to see if they break into your house instead of locking the front door. Just lock the front door. That's yeah, so like the prime example is Pinellas County, Pinellas County in Florida, when they got exploited through TeamViewer. But the big, the big uh, topic was, which country did it? Oh my God, was it Russia? Oh my God, was it China? But in the US, everything, you can expect that everything is Russia's fault. Wh whether it be TeamViewer in Florida on a county water supply or solar winds, it's going to be Russia. Um, and it, the attribution is ridiculous. Like with Colonial, who gives a shit who did it? The problem is when you have your pipeline tied to your front office, IT, you know, IT staff and servers, that's a fucking problem. So attribution is like completely useless unless you're talking like a cyber war or an active cyber war. Then I can see attribution going deep. But yeah, like with something like a county water supply, no, not really. Yeah, it, you know, just just fix your stuff. Stop, you know, back to the vendor. Like, stop getting like snake oil, magic fairy dust solutions, and just fix your stuff. Stop worrying about the threat actors and just fix your stuff. It, it's yeah. I mean, it's like broken. We're, we're still we're still not doing this, and it's ridiculous to me. It's I remember being like a sixteen year old kid. It's like, well, look at on IRC, and my box is locked down. The hard drive starts formatting itself after ten minutes, so I need to lock my shit down. And then I can go on IRC and hang out with the other hackers, and nothing happens. So let's just do that. Scale that up, and that's what I've always wanted to. And somehow that's weird industry. You know, like, it just seems like logic to me. Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean that's just the basics. Like, if you look at the, if you look at the the major attacks that have occurred like lately, if they would have done like simple shit, like foundational security, it wouldn't have happened. <laughs> if there, if there is no AI, the security stuff you've got to do, regardless, right? Fundamentally, know what you've got, know where it is, patch it know who's touching your data, what they're doing with it, where it's being moved to, how it's being moved around, have some monitoring of what's going on, have some auto, you know, responses to that. Those kind of those things you need to do regardless of whether you're in the cloud or on-prem or whether you're threat, whoever your threat actors are. You know, depending on the threat actors, you might have to level up further, but there's a fundamental baseline of you know, CRS top 20 or whatever you want to use of stuff that you should just be doing. 
Ryan, do you have any questions? No, I'm good, man. I'm having too much fun in the chat. <laughs> cool. Cool. <clears throat> yeah, let me look at the chat and see if we have any more questions. <clears throat> no, lag is not code for someone. Man, my connection sucks so bad. I'm really trying to get Starlink out here on the mountain because we live in such a remote fucking place that literally I could get a better connection with fucking smoke signals. Right. Isn't there an RFC? Um, or a, I don't I have it. I think there yeah, is. Yeah. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> you, literally, when we called our internet provider, this is a response that we got. People in rural areas do not need more than 10 megabytes of internet. <laughs> That's what they told us. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, this is like 2021 and you're, you're rating internet bandwidth on your area code and your zip code. What the fuck? Um, anyways, so yeah, I'm going to try to go for um, Starlink, but my connection sucks. So Lisa, Kevin, Greg, do you guys have any questions for the group, for the Haunted Hacker community or me or anybody else? I want to ask how many cars has Greg exploded? Oh, at least four or five. One, one car recently. How many Ferraris has Lisa crashed? Two, twice. Well, it happened twice. That is, that's a low blow. That was that was bringing in evidence that was said in a private chat, which I think is contrary to the rules of panel discussions. How many cars total? <laughs> A few, more than I would like to admit, if I'm perfectly honest. But let me put this to you, Greg. If one does not know the limit of one's vehicles by crashing, are you really even driving them hard enough? Because I drive my cars hard. That's a good question. Yeah. She's saying she, don't, she doesn't drive like a girl is what she's saying, Greg. I think she's referring to you as possibly driving like a girl. <laughs> Greg's got no retort. Yeah, I've, I've I've lost all audio on Greg. I don't know what he's saying. Oh, I might I might have had my hand on the mic. <laughs> can you hear me now? Yes. Yeah, we uh, can hear. You. Yeah, you know, you know, like those those like psycho ex girlfriends that like run run around like swinging baseballs and axes. That's the kind of girl she drives Ooh. like. Ooh, ouch. <laughs> Look at that face. <laughs> what wow. has just happened? That was uncalled for, I think, slightly. There was a few crashes. <laughs> no, There's been a lot of like crashes. But I'm just saying you're driving, apparently. I have a few problems that I have identified as areas for continuous professional development. Ooh, self-assessment. I like this. Mm, yeah, like Ooh. judging speed. <laughs> <laughs> could be important <laughs> right you sure there's a doll for that yeah yeah any uh any uh, any uh, cyber or industry relevant crap let's talk about uh weak points of each person i'll tell you my weak my weak point as far as cybersecurity goes is i'm too quick to respond, I guess, without doing a whole lot of thinking about a situation. Sometimes that goes with uh, speaking to end up speaking about and speaking 
two things that um, probably should I should buffer or edit before I uh, release, but I don't. Um, I tell it how it is. Uh, but that's probably my weakest point that and uh probably my inability to become a citizen of any country um, lisa what is your weak point me weak point um whew, so hard to pick anything um i would say <laughs> i would say my weakest point is again i think i probably ought to not talk sometimes and i talk <laughs> say a lot of things and that doesn't always go down too well and uh had a lot of abuse for it and I've said things that I think are quite difficult for people in western countries to swallow sometimes and then Greg tells me I'm sure. on Putin's payroll on a live webinar so it could be worse. I mean, you could have you could have a major hacktivist group telling you that you're a, a double agent for some other foreign country. That'd be pretty fucked up. Yeah, that's um, true. Yeah. So, Kevin, what is your weakest point? I'm saving Greg for last because Greg's going to take a while. <laughs> that's one of my weak points. Um, I think one thing I had a. Um, learning experience of in my last role was it's easy if you get especially a small team to um rely on people too much and over promote them because they're doing great work for you which can lead to problems down the line when they're kind of used to being a superstar when you build a bigger team that's got better even better people in it so they're no longer the superstars uh, which did cause some challenges for me with some, some individuals in my last role. So, yeah, so I think it's just being careful that even when you people are doing great work and you've got a small team and you do really need them, that you're still kind of realistic about how you treat them and don't give yourself problems down the line by overpromoting, even if there's a risk of them moving on, because that's, you know, it's going to cause you more, more problems than it's worth. So it's just, yeah, so I don't, I think it's just as you grow, you grow up as, you know, you build teams and kind of grow in your sort of management style, you, you learn that you don't, you know, how, how to best kind of build the team and how to make sure you're fair to everyone. Greg, what about you? I think Kevin's weak point is, is part of one of his good points because I know Kevin you know, builds really good teams, has a really good culture, really good relationship, is, is just generally very close to his team and, and really cares about them. Um, so sometimes it's, it's hard to create that kind of distance and still keep it professional and where things should be within the structure of an organization. Um, you know, similar cha challenges for me, still on the kind of learning curve with, with leadership. Uh, obviously I talk way too damn much. Um, yeah. And, and some, similar to yours as well. Sometimes I'm, I'm still learning to throttle it back a bit. Like when I see something and I want to jump on it, um, jump on it too quickly and you, you know, I don't want to say you make a fool out of yourself, but you, you're not as concise as you as you could be, or you don't come across as uh, as well thought thought out or thought through. Um, I think I have like pretty good ideas, but they they take time to develop, and I um, sometimes like in, in the heat of the moment, you you just you're, you're going at it too fast. I'm kind of getting into a place where like my my job is really to to think, then sit on it for a week, and then come out with it. That seems to help. Um, 
there's loads I, th I think like the more self-aware you become the more kind of um shortcomings you realize you have and you, you try to round them out uh, you don't always get there sometimes you get distracted yeah. by all this stuff and keep some flaws for a really long time so yeah deep, deeply flawed yeah for sure i i think I think, I think that's one of the things that, that I battle with too, is that, you know, once I, you know, try to address a flaw, I figure out another one and it just, it continues that long string of continuous improvement, I guess. Um, Ryan, what about you, man? Um, I guess it's uh, just wanting things too fast, man. Like try to move to move through stuff through stages that I'm not that I'm not ready for, but, I guess I'm moving at a pace that's, you know, unrealistic for other people, I guess. Um, just because I'm used to doing things myself. Now that I'm in another industry that I'm unfamiliar with, it's hard to adjust to the pace that like corporate life goes, like slow decisions, you know, you know, you can't, like you're saying about the oil and gas thing before, people can't just snap and make changes. It's a, it's a process that goes through this and that. It's like, so I guess that's, I guess, patience for me is the the biggest one cool so i wanted to take a few minutes at the end and uh thank lisa for um you know giving me some entertainment conversation while i was uh, up in the hospital for like two months in in london um kevin and, and greg both were uh constantly texting me and and putting up with my endless rants of incoherent bullshit once the nurses gave me injections. So um, I want to thank you guys for, for really like being there for me when I was over. I really appreciate it. Um, you guys are welcome anytime in the, in the community. Um, Greg and Kevin, I really appreciate you guys coming back. And Lisa, you're welcome anytime. Um, you know, open invitation. So with that, if we don't have any more questions, I'm going to shut it down. Thanks, so Last. Thanks, guys. Bye. All right, man. I'll see you guys uh, next weekend. And uh, look for this on Tech Strong TV on probably Monday or Tuesday of the following week. Have a good weekend, guys. Peace out.